to the Jesus Name News Podcast. I'm Larry. I got Derek here with me. This week, we continue our series, Men of Integrity, as we explore the powerful spiritual discipline of fasting. But don't worry. You don't have to fast as you listen to this episode. So feel free to grab a snack and listen to what we're going to talk about. But first, a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Listen. You know, we have a new podcast out called That Pentecostal Podcast. Episodes are already available. So, Larry, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what's happening over at TPP? Yeah, we saw a need for a devotional podcast in the Pentecostal realm. We saw a need just for a short, uplifting moment that we can give to people. And so we decided that we're going to do it. We're going to make one. We're going to put it out there. It's going to include us. It's going to include our new members of the team. It's going to have Derek. It's going to have me. It's going to have Adrian. It's going to have some other people. We're going to have guests. And we're going to bring to you life-applicable, faith-building, Holy Ghost fire devotionals every single Monday. That Pentecostal podcast is available everywhere you get your podcast. So go set it to download, set it to notify you, whatever you need to do. But don't miss That Pentecostal podcast every Monday. Welcome back to the G-Star News Podcast. We've heard it said that fasting is one of those major spiritual disciplines that we all should do, and we've heard all the messages about it. We all know, though, that there are prominent stories of men and women of God committing themselves to fasting and God giving them this great power, great anointing, great guidance, or, you know, prophecies and visions, even. So if something is really this important, you'd think that we'd push ourselves to do it or attain it or receive it, whatever you got to do. Yeah. So fasting is that important. That's the thing, right? It is needed and it is beneficial for every single Christian. And really, it's just every single person once you get into the physical side of stuff. Yet, it is not something that People fawn over it's not the first thing that people think of even anymore so the problem is throughout the old testament we see story after story person after person being spiritually and physically benefited from fasting so the first instance that we see in the bible where people are told to fast is during the time of Moses in Leviticus 16, 29 through 31, God commands the Israelites to fast on the day of atonement. This was a mandatory fast where they were required to abstain from all food and drink for the space of about a day. And the purpose of this fast was to humble themselves for God and seek forgiveness for their sins. And then in another instance is First uh, Samuel 7. The Israelites fasted and repented after suffering a defeat at the hands of the Philistines, right? So they recognized that they were disobedient, they lacked faith in God, and that led to their defeat. They sought God's forgiveness and guidance through that fast. So they humbled themselves before God to refocus their attention back to Him. And then probably, I would say this is, in my opinion, one of the more prominent ones uh, in Esther 4. 
the Jews are, are, are fasting for three days because they face pretty much imminent annihilation. It's termination by Persia, right? The fact, the fast was an act of devotion and worship to God, seeking his help and intervention to save their people. You know what's interesting? What's that? Just, it's just interesting that we're talking about this this week because in real life, and, and we plan our episodes way out in advance, but we don't, we don't plan them based around our real life. But when this episode is going to air, I will be at Wisconsin District UPC Youth, uh, Junior Camp. And our theme this year is Esther. Yeah, it's just interesting that this falls right then. No, I've had that happen over the last like six or seven weeks. Uh, whatever we talked about on the podcast. Yeah, that happened with the Fruit of the Spirit up. too. We we were already recording it, and then as we were playing them, like the week before, we were at our adult Sunday school class was on the Fruit of the Spirit in the order that our episodes were playing. We when we recorded the Jeremiah episode for the next two Sundays, went and talked about this very same exact scriptures that <laughs> I had laid out, and I was like, "Are you sure that yeah. you didn't have like access to my Google account?" But <laughs> maybe we all just have access to the Lord's Google account. That's the cloud. That's the real cloud. Cloud by day, fiery pillar by night, right? The fiery pillar is my privacy. Yes. So, <laughs> That's a firewall we all need. Anyway, getting back on track. Through their fasting, they were able to draw nearer to God, seek his guidance and his protection in that event. So then you get to Second Chronicles 20, and it's King Jehoshaphat proclaiming a fast throughout Judah because they faced this massive army of Moabites and Ammonites. He recognized that his army was vastly outnumbered, vastly outmatched, and he turned to God for help. Through their fasting, the people of Judah were able to humble themselves before God and seek his guidance and protection. And God ultimately delivered them from the Moabites and Ammonites and the what happened is the Moabites and Ammonites actually turned on each other. They came out to fight against Israel and ended up fighting each other. Uh, I believe that's where they met at the river, and the river was like turned to look like blood or something. But yeah, you know what's interesting though about those those situations? We talk about how we have such a hard time fasting. All of these examples that we talk about in in a lot of the examples in the Bible that are really prominent. They all have that immediate threat. Or not all of them. Well, yeah, I shouldn't say they yeah. all do because I don't I don't have every example of fasting in front of me from the Bible. But like so many of these seem to have that immediate threat right in front of them. And it, it just kind of goes back to that like there is power in that like last second like desperation, like, okay, God, I messed this up real bad and I need you to fix it. But at the same time, we need to remember that that power, it's, it was always there. If you, would have, right. if you would have done the fasting, if you would have done seeking God and doing it his way first, there's no reason to think it couldn't have happened the same way up front without all the pain and the suffering and the, the, the struggle that happened. Now, yeah. sometimes that might have been what God wanted, but... <laughs> well. But getting back, like, when you think of fasting, 
there's really one person you think about, right? Yeah. It, but whether we, we all collectively think about Daniel, none of them are more prominent or more evident than Daniel. And he has an actual fast named after him. That's so it. Daniel, we, we've talked about how he was known for his devotion and obedience to God. And, you know, we talked about, uh, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago at this point, we talked about how he fasted when he first got to Babylon. And really in the book of Daniel, he, there are three individual fasts that are mentioned. We got to jump to chapter nine. Okay. So let's go, let's jump to chapter nine. This is the second fast. I'm not going to talk about the first fast because we talked about that last week. Yeah. Yeah. Jumping forward. We look at this and this is a time of repentance and intercession for Daniel. So he's praying for forgiveness on behalf of the Israelites and Daniel recognizes uh, the sins of his people and he humbles himself before God and he seeks mercy and grace. So Larry, if you'll read Daniel 9, 1 through 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descendant Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So a little bit of context. This is roughly three to four years prior to the restoration of Judah. And Daniel likely saw the regime change as a signal that the exile was probably close to ending. And I also have to think because of his position, he was privy to maybe what Cyrus, he's probably privy to what the next king also wanted to do. What I find a little bit interesting is he talks about Jeremiah's writings. We're thinking, okay, but this isn't late before common era or before Christ time. This is the like sixth century before Christ. So how are Jeremiah's writings circulating during this time? These writings, you know, in scope of things are fairly new. I believe Jeremiah dies shortly after, I believe, 580 something, 570 something. But so at this point, his writings are about 40 years old. So they're not the Pentateuch that had been around for ages. They're, they're not even Psalms that had, which some of them had been around for ages, but there is one chapter of Jeremiah that I'm pretty much 99% certain that Daniel's reading. And that is Jeremiah 29. Yep. That very same Jeremiah that we see on every high school seniors, <laughs> senior quote. Yeah. Right. Larry, if you read Jeremiah 29, one through two. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So Jeremiah writes this about 598 BC, somewhere in there. And we know this because it happens right after uh, the people here that are listed were taken to Babylon. So let me pause and say here, 
I, I wasn't going to include this, but let me just pause and say Nebuchadnezzar took the high-ranking officials, but that wasn't enough. He also demanded the tradesmen, which served a dual purpose. So this left Judah without leaders and without the ability to rebuild or furnish weapons. And because the consequences of rebellion often look a whole lot different on your kids, what we do today can potentially leave our children without direction and without protection. Yeah. We, we're just going to skip to verse 10 real yeah. quick. We might read verse 11, but verse 10, I feel like, sums up everything that we need to know. Yeah. So, Larry, if you read verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Daniel's reading this letter. He's adding up the years. And he's like, wait, he wrote this like 598, 597. How many years has it been? How, how long have we got? So he yeah. does some very simple, basic math. And he's like, okay, the first, the first invasion was what? Five, six, six or five, something like that. Yeah. And he goes, okay. He starts counting 70 years at that point. He's like, okay, wait a second. If Jeremiah's prophecy is real, that means that it's not long from now that we should be returning back to Jerusalem and back to Judah. And you can imagine like him as a 75, 80, 80-something-year-old man. And he's getting excited about this. Like, this is his home. He's an old man. He, his younger years, his, teen, his uh, pre-teen years were in Jerusalem, right? And Daniel, here, here's the thing. We often talk about how Daniel's weeps and all that, and we'll get into all that later in the series. Daniel took this to literally mean 70 years. This is not symbolic. Which is introduces interesting, and we're going to have to talk about that in a few weeks when we talk about all the symbolism of that stuff. Something I've been thinking of this, this time, though, is, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Something I've, I've considered, especially with what we've been talking about and you know, just your influence of being so history-minded, which is great. But it's interesting that we have the law, right? And we have all these, like, really ancient writings. But we also know that they were found during this time of either very soon before the exile or the return from the exile, right? Yeah. Like, we actually have recordings, and I think Ezra and Nehemiah were there found. Okay. Ezra. We have the prophets immediately preceding the exile and the exile, which, so here's my thing. This is my theory, and this is fully a theory. There's, there's, I don't think there's any backing. But we also have this 400 years of quote unquote silence. I know we've talked about that a little bit, that like, that's not an explicitly biblical idea. My theory. And, and this is purely a theory, is that the reason we have all of these writings is Daniel. I, I can see it. It's Daniel so, and his power in the, the place that God brought him to in the empire gave him the ability to give him and the other, yeah. the other three and whoever else was with them, they got this power to preserve because the Babylonians had power to preserve their writings. The Jews of this time period did not. But because 
these Jews got power in Babylon and then in Persia, they then, by proxy of being part of this empire and having respect of the emperor for their religion, gained the ability to preserve things, which is why we have far an more ancient writings that were preserved, a few historical writings of like some of the kings and stuff, and then things during preceding and during the exile, and then that's it. Here's the thing that's not way too far off. Uh, during those 400 years of silence, and I know this is an aside, but during those 400 years of silence, that's when you see probably, well, first of all, you see the synagogue era begin. Uh, the synagogue formed during that time. So then you had more distribution of those writings. And so a lot of Jewish culture, almost, I don't want to call it restoration, but it was almost like a, Revive okay, revival, almost like a Jewish revival of sorts of culture, in my opinion. Uh, I've done a lot of study on this 400 years, they're very interesting, yeah. But it, yes, it's kind of it's silent in the fact that there weren't really like any prophets, but it's not silent in the fact that God wasn't still working just because it was like, you know, where did how did Jeremiah get around? It just made me think of that. Daniel chapter one and three says, then I turned my face, I being Daniel, to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So in response to the word of the Lord from Jeremiah, Daniel turns his face to the Lord God. So, and, and even though God promised it, Daniel didn't just sit back and let it happen or let it be. He he took action, right? Daniel understood that the promises of God are definitely sure, but that the promises are also an invitation to prayer and dedication. Just just so nobody writes us an angry letter. That's Daniel 9.3. Oh, yeah, 10.3. Yeah, yeah, it happens. It happens to me all the time. Yeah. My, my, my notes are far more typo-filled than Derek's, just so everybody knows. <laughs> Daniel understood that these promises, though, he, he's like, look, I'm not just going to sit back and wait, because here's the thing, like, okay, he's adding up to all these dates, but then he remembers, okay, wait, they invaded in like 605, 603, 598, 597, 586. Uh, which one do I go off of? Daniel, however, I believe is a model here. Uh, on this show, we've discussed the book of revelation a few times right and i know growing up that we heard it hammered and preached on all of the time there's this uh man by the name i only know his last name strauss but but he had this to say it says too often in the prophetic scriptures our interest in them is of a curious and speculative nature or else we conclude that god will carry out his sovereign purpose no matter what we do and so we do not concern ourselves with those matters. You see, Daniel did not just sit by and speculate. He read the prophecy of the Lord, written by Jeremiah, which prompted him to pray and fast. So Daniel sets his face toward God, showing that he is determined to God. He's, he's devoting himself to God. He was as one of those, and I, I liken it this way, he's as one of those 
that was coming boldly before the throne of grace, right? And that's one of my favorite scriptures, come boldly before the throne of grace. And in what way did Daniel approach that throne, right? With prayer, a plea for mercy and grace, with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. He repents of his sins and the sins of Israel. He pleads with God to turn his face back into Israel and to listen, forgive, and take action. You see, it's during this time of prayer and fasting that Daniel is blessed with a vision from God. In this vision, the, the angel Gabriel appears and graciously shares this important, life-changing information. And Gabriel confirms that God had heard Daniel's prayers and he was sending him to provide insight and understanding, right? And Gabriel reveals to Daniel a prophecy about the end times, which includes the Messiah and the end of the age. But so Daniel has this fasting and prayer. And then what? Two years pass. And we get to Daniel 10, verses 1 through 3. Larry, if you'll read that. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So I believe that the KJV translates the word, first one, it translates it as the word was true, but the appointed time was long. So there are a few theories, though, as to why Daniel is mourning. Some think it's a reference to the prophecy that was spoken to him in Daniel chapter 9 about the Messiah and the end of the age, which just thinking about the content of those prophecies, and I really can't wait to get into them in a few weeks, but you can understand just how heavy those might weigh on you. It, but like I said, we'll, we'll get into that. I don't want to take up our time there. The other theory is that Cyrus had already made this decree that the Jews could return to their homeland. Well, the problem is that very few took that opportunity to go back to Judah. So now when you consider the later translations of this verse saying the word was true, but it was a great conflict, it really makes sense to me. Daniel fought some serious spiritual warfare to get the word that he had received from Gabriel in chapter 9. He was understood this was God's plan, but the people were either, one, content in Babylon, serving and assimilating into Babylonian culture and religion, or reluctant to move back due to the devastation of Jerusalem and Judah as a whole. And both are completely plausible. I have no issue thinking that one or the other could have happened. And I believe both are also enough to weary Daniel, who is roughly about 84 years old at this time. For an old man, you know, just, just thinking back and thinking about just me as a young man in my 20s, like, how I feel about this. For an old man who could remember Jerusalem before its destruction, to see his people unwilling to go back, it has to be devastating, you know? And that devastation of spirit leads Daniel into what we now know as the Daniel fast, where Daniel and, you know, when we do it, we don't eat meat, 
drink alcohol or consume any sweets. It's pretty much only fruits and vegetables and I, I believe some nuts, right? Even in Daniel's old age, it's remarkable just how dedicated he was to God and the advancement of his people. He could have said, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting old. You know, my body needs every bit of nourishment it can get. And not one single person would have faulted him for saying that. Not a single person. And just as a disclaimer, we're not telling you to go out there and put yourself in bodily, you know, or a health crisis, right? Just to fast. I'm, we're just saying, like, everyone has an excuse, and Daniel had one. I guess I, I don't, and, and maybe there is, maybe I'm wrong. And if I am, I would love to be corrected, but I don't see anything in the Bible that says there's any power in it being a strict water fast. It's about discipline and it's about sacrifice. Yeah, it's about self-denial, yeah. submission to God. Yeah, because right? it's not like God doesn't need, it, it's like offering. God doesn't need our money. He wants you. He wants, he wants to know us, that he's got and you. And it's things that are a sign of it. And it's, it's things that give us that redirection to the things of God. And fasting is very much the same thing. God doesn't need us to do things. Exactly. He already can do it all himself. But us redirecting our wills to him gives that power. And that's what this kind of thing is, is that he fasted what he could. I mean, at this point, right. dude's like 90, 85, 90 years old. I mean, 84, yeah. Like, uh, that's what's nice about Daniel. We can pretty much understand, like, just how old he was. Yeah. But uh, anyway, back to Daniel chapter 10. So, Larry, if you'll read Daniel chapter 10, verses 4 through 9. Yeah. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from, the, from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. You know what's interesting to me now? I just noticed it here. He says, my radiant appearance. This dude's been fasting. Almost exactly like he was in, you know, when he first came to Babylon. He's 84 years old. He has this radiant appearance. I'm just saying, like, you think fasting doesn't have benefits, but well, physically, but, it obviously has benefits just based on this. But, but not only that, but, like, I'm reading that. And, and for one, y'all, reading the Bible out loud has power. Like, just read. I've read this multiple times, but reading it out loud and hearing myself read it out loud. It was a thing. But the other thing is, is when I read his radiant appearance, my radiant appearance was fearfully changed. I immediately thought of Moses. Like we all act like Moses yeah. is the only person that ever had yeah. that, 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 that miracle of like the literal spirit of God changing his physical appearance and making it difficult for others to look at him. But like really Daniel's describing that same thing here. 
I mean, Daniel's literally one of the most devoted people in the Bible. Yeah. You know, we talk about David, but David had his fault. But I'm sure Daniel did too. But I struggle to find where Daniel really failed a whole lot. Yeah, it's right? like when we, when we talk about those biblical characters and how they all had those fatal flaws, Daniel never appears on that list. Ever. Ever. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> thing is like his weaknesses were all kind of outside of him they were external factors that he refused yeah but that's a that's a whole another episode so which i think we actually did that whole other episode so it doesn't matter but yeah not captivated the other thing that i want to talk about here is you know i want to focus on the men who are with daniel right so there are a lot of parallels between those between Paul's vision on the road to Damascus and this one, at least to me, uh, I read through both of them and I was like, dang, those are really, really close. But this is the difference between those who devote themselves to God and those who don't at all, or at least wholeheartedly. Right. So we talk of wanting these visions and we talk of wanting these experience and but the question is, are we willing to devote ourselves to the level it takes to receive those things? You know, Daniel's fast here sets up the last two chapters, which are some of the most powerful prophetic visions in the entire Bible. Yet we look at that and we're like, we can have that same thing. The problem is we don't have that same devotion. And, and, and I know for a fact that, like I said, there are those of us who, if those things did show up, we would out we would run we would hide yeah because how fearful is it to be in the presence of god or one of his angels and not be able to perceive what's happening absolutely so it's that moment that the air in the room and larry knows i'm not the air in the room shifts yeah it's it, there's an electric charge in the air well anytime or, or the there's whole a room like if you've never experienced it, like when there's a tongues and interpretation, like. Yeah. The whole room goes silent right before it and you, you just know. It's, it's just like, whoa, like what? Like, no, it's not orchestrated. No. It, that's the thing. Like it's not orchestrated. It's always like, you can feel it. Like we call it the holy hush. Like, yeah. Cause you can. It, everyone and not that that's just, a biblical term and for anybody who's going to criticize. It's not, it's just. What else are you calling? That's the only it? way I know how to describe yeah. it because every single time that I've ever heard tongues and interpretation, immediately preceding it, there was every single person in that building, even babies. Like that's the thing. Like, even babies who were crying with a lot hush. Yeah. Like that's the thing. So you tell me it doesn't have power. Sorry, I've seen too much. Either way, I, I don't really know exactly how to explain all these things because all I know I I can only use human words to define something that is infinite and glorious and all-powerful. So I have very finite ability to do that. But you know it when you feel it or see it. And there are some people's response to that as fear and some people's response to that as reverence or amazement. And if you're spiritually ready for it, it can impart some of the most marvelous and miraculous revelations and other things that you have ever seen but you've got to be ready and that's what daniel was in this moment when he gets to the tigris river he's ready for that revelation you know 
and and we'll find out you know the angel was actually sent at the beginning of the fast and he got delayed and we'll talk about all that and i can't wait because it's one of my favorite parts of the entire bible because you get into like prince of persia and like what is all this and anyway so i'm really excited for that but the whole point of this in my opinion is trying to show how daniel dedicated himself and the results of that dedication you don't just get miracle signs wonders because you're filled with a hole you skip miracle signs of wonders because you're dedicated yeah absolutely and and that's the thing that's what fasting is fasting is all about that dedication it's about taking what you are what you have and turning your will against itself and and killing it and 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 going against your will what you want i mean we live in a culture that's so motivated by self, that's so focused on self, that's so focused on what they want in that moment right now. Right. And, and that's the problem with our culture. But, you know, we're going to take a brief break. When we get back, we're going, we're going to connect this all to the New Testament because when you're talking about spiritual disciplines, it's also important to show how it's evident in the New Testament, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll see you guys after the break. Listen, you know, we have a new podcast out called That Pentecostal Podcast. Episodes are already available. So, Larry, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what's happening over at TPP? Yeah, we saw a need for a devotional podcast in the Pentecostal realm. We saw a need just for a short, uplifting moment that we can give to people. And so we decided that we're going to do it. We're going to make one. We're going to put it out there. It's gonna include us. It's gonna include our new members of the team. It's gonna have Derek, it's gonna have me, it's gonna have Adrian, it's gonna have some other people. We're gonna have guests. And we're gonna to bring to you life applicable, faith building, Holy Ghost fire devotionals every single Monday. That Pentecostal podcast is available everywhere you get your podcast. So go set it to download, set it to notify you, whatever you need to do. But don't miss that Pentecostal podcast every Monday. Welcome back to the Geostimus podcast. So in the New Testament, I can immediately think of about three or four situations where people fasted, right? Yeah. And I immediately think of Jesus, you know, the, the Pharisees coming to Jesus be like, John's disciples fast and we all fast. Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus is like, I am the bread. He's <laughs> also like, do you fast during a party? Because they should be, y'all should be partying. Don't you know who's here? Yeah. Like, uh, that's, that's immediately what I think of. And, uh, but anyway, the other thing that I think of is obviously Jesus's fast for 40 days yeah. in the wilderness before beginning his ministry. So Larry, if you'll read Luke chapter four, verses one and two. Yeah. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. That is the truth, man. I would be too. Yeah, I'm hungry right now. It's, it's been a long day. But <laughs> this, this fast was a time of preparation for Jesus. 
as he was getting ready to face these temptations from Satan. So through his fasting, Jesus was able to basically ready himself as a man, right? He had to submit his flesh to the spirit that we all know lived inside of him. He had to submit all that so that he could resist the temptations, you know, that, so again, fasting is not just out there to like get visions and signs and wonders like Daniel did. It also helps us resist temptation, right? It's almost, to me, it's like a shield almost, uh, you're able to deflect a little bit better. And then I get to Acts chapter 10 and I love it. Like, uh, this is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Uh, Cornelius is praying and fasting when an angel visits him. So later, if you read Acts 10, 30 through 33. And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, Thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Cornelius was praying so intently and intensely for that matter that essentially food became less important. Literally prayer became his food. You know, talk about, we just made a joke about Jesus being the bread. Well, this is a great example of in the new Testament, Jesus being the bread and you know, he, He's praying, and here's the thing. He doesn't have the Holy Ghost. He's, he's one of those who visited the synagogue, right? He's, he's someone that he just wants more of God. Yeah. That's why he's hungry. He's hungry for that. And that hunger for God overtook his physical hunger. You know, it's, so, it's interesting that, that, that something that happens, too, in people is that you can get so focused on a task that you're doing that you forget to eat. And it's not necessarily unhealthy, always. It can be if it happens constantly. You know, like you eat every three days a little bit and you forget all the time, that can be really bad for you. But like missing once in a while because you're so focused on what you're doing. And what we see here is somebody that's so focused on God and seeking God that they just don't, you know, it's not really forgetting. It's just, you're so focused on what you're doing and man, getting to a place where you can just see God in that way. That, that sounds great. I, I love what the angel said, you know, that prayer, I'm going to want to say it in KJV speak because that's what I've grew up memorizing, but that prayer and then alms have come up for a memorial. I believe he said before God, Yeah, you know, like that. How much dedication do you have to have for that to happen? Yeah. Like, and, and he has a cute, he doesn't have the Holy Ghost. You don't have to have the Holy Ghost to do these things. These are spiritual disciplines. 
<clears throat> right? Larry, if we read Acts 10, 44 through 48. Well, Peter yet spake these words. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which were heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water, that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Yeah, you're telling me that this was only for the apostles. Well, Cornelius has a different take on that, right? Yeah. All the people that with Cornelius have a different take on that. That's why cessationism is completely false and, in my opinion, one of the most dangerous things to ever exist in Christian doctrine. But I digress. I just, I find it amazing that Cornelius' fasting, his dedication, his consistency to service of God. I mean, just think about the world that they lived in. Cornelius, his non-spirit-filled, just silent, consistent dedication was so powerful and made so much noise to God in a good way that God reacted to it by choosing him to literally change all the rules of everything. Now, that's not saying that that wasn't going to happen anyway. Yeah, he allowed, God allowed him to be a case study. Because the Gentiles were eventually going to get saved. Like, that was part of the point. However, my point is, is that God saw Cornelius and he went, you know what? Out of all the Gentiles that have ever existed, that's the one. You said something about, like, you know, he's doing this silent, consistent thing. So he's praying. uh, I believe at first it, the first few chapters kind of lead you to believe that he's praying with his family. And then it says, okay, it's the ninth hour of the day, which would have been about the time, you know, of business, you know, you're going out into the market, you're selling, buying all those different things. You're doing your job. Mm-hmm. But in the ninth hour, Cornelius alone goes to his house and prays. And it's another and fast for that matter. He gets so occupied with praying that he fasts. You know, whether it's an un- unintentional or not, I don't care. It's a fast because he's praying and he's dedicating it to God. He's doing all that. This man, this angel appears to him. And then suddenly it's like, oh, go find Peter. Okay, well, Peter's the man who has the keys to the kingdom. Peter's the man that Jesus looked at and said, look, you're, you're Simon and upon this rock I will build my church. And then Peter, what does Peter do? He doesn't come up with a, some special message. He just preaches the gospel. Yeah. If you read those few verses before verse 44, Peter just preaches the gospel. That's all he does. And I say all he does in quotations, like all he does, like, because that's the formula. That's what gets people saved. I want to know so much more about this Gentile that was like fasting and praying to Jehovah. How does that happen? Like, where, where is this coming from? Well, obviously he's a, he's, a Hellenistic Jew, I guess, or at the very least. I guess that could be uh, what the implication is, is that he's a Hellenistic yeah. Jew, so he's not he's not recognized he's not as a fully, real Jew to the Jews, but he's still yeah. a Jew on some level. This is a case of 
Cornelius doing something in secret and God rewarding him openly. Then we get to Acts 13. We're not going to read the scripture because we're kind of up against time right here. But this is when we see an example of prayer and fasting being used for obviously an act of devotion and worship to seek God's guidance and protection. So before sending off Paul and Barnabas on their first journey, the church of Antioch, which by the way is the place where we were first called Christians, fasted and prayed. And through this spiritual discipline, they were able to draw nearer to God and seek his direction for the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And, you know, they're, they're worshiping, they're fasting, they're playing, they're praying. And the Holy Spirit speaks and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they hit, so they get the word of the Holy Spirit and then they fast and pray some more and place their hands and they sit on wall. It just goes to show how this can be used as an act of devotion to seek God's guidance and direction. The Church of Antioch recognized that this is an important facet of spiritual life. This is a spiritual discipline. And through this, they were able to seek direction for probably, I would argue, the second greatest apostle, uh, apart from Peter, I would, I would bet. I mean, Paul is extremely important. I don't know him and Peter may be on the same level, but that's crazy to me. Like the, and I say crazy in quotations, but it's insane how this one little spiritual discipline, when coupled with prayer, changes the course of human history. Because if this doesn't happen, maybe there's not a Paul preaching to the Gentile. I mean, surely there's someone else, but... It changes the course of history. When we get down to it, what are the physical and spiritual benefits of all this? Did some digging. On the physical side, there's several health benefits, you know, reducing inflammation, insulin sensitivity, cellular repair, repair weight loss, uh, even heart health to a degree. Um, the National Institute on Aging found that intermittent fasting can improve cardiovascular health by lowering blood pressure and reducing cholesterol levels and decreasing the risk of heart disease, but it can also lead to some pretty amazing revelations. So it has some really great physical ones, but the spiritual ones are a million times better. So first off, when we deny ourselves this physical sustenance, we're making room for God to work in our hearts and in our minds. It's like saying, God, I'm all yours. Do what you do. You know, I'll, I'll always like to say, you know, and Derek as it is in heaven. Fasting is one of those ways you can make it so. So by doing this, you're just focusing yourself back on him and to hear his voice more clearly. But it can also help you break free from addictions and habits that are not healthy, that may be holding you back from having a deeper relationship with God. And by removing those distractions, which is sort of what Cornelius did, he, he, he was praying so intently that these distractions didn't matter to him. You can draw closer to him and gain a better way of understanding what he wants from you. But finally, fasting can help you just humble yourself, right? I, I think that that's probably like the first and foremost thing, but 
fasting is supposed to humble you. It's supposed to make you put yourself under subjection because it's not only a physical act, it's a spiritual discipline. You know, the series is called Men of Integrity. It's going to help men of integrity draw closer to God. And as men of God, we are called to live a life of obedience and devotion to God. And fasting is one of the main ways that we should be demonstrating our obedience and devotion. It's through fasting you can humble yourself and seek his guidance. And it can also give you a break from, you know, you don't need the potato chips, dude. Put them down. Yeah. And so ultimately, that was why we're doing this series is because we want to be men like Daniel. We want to be men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We want to be these kind of men, and we want to learn what we can from the stands they made and from the decision, the choices they made and the things that they did. And, and this right. is a big one, is this kind of self-discipline. It's not... It is the fasting. The fasting is, is important, but it's what the fasting teaches them. And it's what the fasting does to our will that seems to be so important. In Christianity, <laughs> there aren't magic objects. Things, right. things don't have power because of magic. They have power because of reasons. There's, there's reasons behind these things. And, and so fasting, it's not some spell you cast where you get spiritual power by the significance of that. That's not what it's doing. It's killing our flesh. It's killing our desire. It's making us able to push ourselves out and let God be more in control of who we are and to have more authority in us, not because and, he really has more, but because we're giving up more. You know, when... I started studying this. I didn't think that it would grow into something that we could talk for 55 minutes on. But <laughs> the thing is, it's that important. It is. You know, we thank you guys for taking the time to listen. We're excited to continue this series next week. We hope that you're getting something out of this because, again, like I, I'm sure most of our demographic, I believe, is men. You're called to be better than, you're, than you are. So... Be sure to tune in to the GSA News Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcast. Also, don't forget, check out our devotional podcast, That Pentecostal Podcast, available on all podcast platforms every Monday. We'll see you guys next Wednesday.